We have almost forgotten that we are in a great mortal combat. The battle of the forces of good and the forces of evil. Today we are beginning either to domesticate the devil or else to deny him. God's definition of himself is I am who I am. The devil's definition of himself is I am who am not. He is most powerful when he is denied. Welcome to the War College. Uh, Ruben Nava here filling in for Jesse Romero. Um, I'm, I'm feeling uh, grateful to be able to sit here and uh, just uh, chew the fat with Kyle Clement. Welcome to the uh, to the show, Kyle. Good morning. Great to be on, Ruben. Thanks for having me. All right. So, uh, you know, uh, Kyle, we're going we're gonna to be talking about Freemasonry today. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of Catholics and who, who don't know a lot. It's not my, you know, my best subject as well. Uh, you know, you hear about people that, you know, they think, oh, it's just, it's just a, you know, a society, man. These are just, just builders or, you know, they've got some pretty cool rings that they wear. And, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to Catholics that think that there's no problem uh, as far as joining the, the Freemasons. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe we can elaborate on that and, and maybe uh, talk about, why? Why does the church think that? Why does the church say? And I, I may remember years ago reading, you know, uh, the encyclical by uh, Pope Leo the Thirteenth on Freemasonry, Humani Genus, and uh, you know, he lays out why we we shouldn't be a, a part of it. Um, but we'll we'll get into it. Uh, so, you know, maybe I'll start with uh, who are the Freemasons, Kyle? Where where can we go from there? <clears throat> well, I think it's a it's a deep subject of of which we we largely are ignorant. Um, so we can trace Freemasonry back to, um, in 1471, Cardinal Torquemada as part of the Inquisition in Spain. <clears throat> now remember that the Inquisition um, and much of history, we really need to realize, especially in the United States, public school history has largely been rewritten by the Freemasons. Um, not only to cover their tracks, but to sanate and to sanitize many of their actions. Um, so let's go back and look at them uh, just in a movement through world history. In 1471, Cardinal Torquemada, um, through the Inquisition in Spain, um, the Inquisition primarily focused on the salvation of souls and the addressing of apostasy, regardless of what uh, revisionist history may say. He finds a group of people that identify themselves as the Illuminados. And so this is the precursor to the term we use as Illuminati. Now, this group is very, very interesting. It's made up of Jewish merchants, Mohammedans or Saracens, and mid-level Spanish noblemen. In 1471, what would these people have in common? Now, remember 1492 is when Columbus is uh, on his mission um, to the New World. Incidentally, that's been rewritten as well, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> in 1471, these Jewish merchants, these mid-level Spanish noblemen, and these Mohammedans or Saracens, their common enemy was the church, the Catholic Church in Spain, and the unification of the Catholic Church and the crown of Ferdinand and Isabella, the, the monarchy. And so, what, what is important to realize is 
these this group banded together. They would have never been friends or allies without the common enemy that they saw as the Catholic Church, which restricted various things they wanted to do. And so their movement was to separate altar and crown, meaning to separate church and state. That was that was their goal in Spain, was to separate the church, the Catholic church from the monarchy in Spain. And that is still their goal, and that has been their overlying, uh, their overriding mantra through the ages. Now, fast forward to 1717. In 1717, all the, the Illuminados, all the Freemason sects, all the Masonic lodges, all of the, quote, free men um, were banded together in Paris, France, to form what was called the Grand Orient Lodge. This is in 1717. And so in 1717, their, uh, still their mantra is all against altar and crown, to fracture altar and crown. And they formed a Grand Lodge codifying and solidifying Freemasonry uh, around the world. That was in 1717. In 1738, which is only 21 years later, that is the blink of an eye in Vatican times in church speak. We all know how slow Mother Church moves. And so um, 21 years is the blink of an eye. Yeah. But that's when we get the first papal encyclical that says membership in Freemasonry or any of its associated uh, groups or lodges is expressly forbidden for Catholics, and the penalty is excommunication if you join. That has been an uninterrupted stance since 1717. The last, there have been 38 papal bulls, encyclicals, motu proprios, all addressing that to join Freemasonry is an excommunicatable offense, and it's ex operando, meaning when you do it, you are thereby excommunicated from the church, it's expressly forbidden, even when we've had prelates and hierarchies who were members of the lodge. The last clarification we got on this was 1984, and it said expressly in 1984, yes, all the previous statements still stand. Mm. Kyle, you know, uh, that, that's interesting you bring that up because, uh, you know, as as you know, that uh, at, at Vatican II, a lot of people were, were uh, there's a lot of information that's come out on the architect of the the new liturgy, Cardinal Anibali Bugnini, um, and uh, that he was a Freemason. Now, um, you know, it's above my pay grade to to say whether he was or not. But there's a lot of uh, people that I respect that are saying that he was. And um, and so you said if they're they're supposed to be excommunicated, and uh, there's obviously it kind of it, it seems as, as though it was kind of. Uh, like they're not touching that subject after the Second Vatican Council. Would I be onto something there, or not only are you onto something, I think that you you are really kind of pulling the the lid back off of uh, of something that's that's particularly nefarious. Anna Annabella Bugnini was a thirty uh, second degree Mason by his own admission. Um, John the twenty third, the Masons claimed John the twenty third was a member. Um, there are many, many representatives of Freemasonry um, throughout the Vatican, uh, Second Vatican Council. 
We even get go so far as to have Archbishop Fiorenza issue a letter in 1982 that said it was permissible for American men to be members of the Freemasonic Lodge because American Freemasonry was different. He was sharply reprimanded, and his letter is one of the reasons that the 84 letter from then Cardinal Ratzinger came out that know this, that it is still uh, expressly against uh, not only church teaching, but 38 motu proprios, um, papal bulls, encyclicals, that that stance is still there. So, you know, it, it's good to name names. Um, uh, there are many prelates who are um, current high-ranking American prelates who are associated with Freemasonry, either directly or indirectly. But this is nothing new. We have to remember something, that uh, the first bishop of the United States, Bishop Carroll, yes. his brother, his brother was the grand wizard of, of the lodge in the United States. And so you have one brother leading the church, the other brother leading uh, the Freemasonic Lodge. That's, that's it's interesting. Now, I know some, some uh, recently when uh, the Pope um, entertained uh, Nancy Pelosi in the Vatican, there was a kind of a secret handshake that they made and uh, they showed close-ups of the photo and um, that handshake is, is, is like right in line with uh, the, the some, some of the secret symbols of, of the Freemasons um, and pictures have, have come out uh, showing this Pope. And again, you know, I could just be uh, incidental, but the, you know, he had his hand inside his, his, his coat and uh, it's typical of what a lot of the Freemasons do to kind of, to uh, send out that sign hey, to the world, hey, that this is who I am. There's a there's a picture of Anthony Fauci doing that, and right in front of a, before a news conference, and it's like he's projecting that to to those that uh, are on his side. Hey, I'm one of you guys. Um, I don't know if, if you've come across that, uh, or is that handshake any anything to be uh, leery of? Well, it's just to be aware of. I mean, you see what you see, Ruben. You're a you're an ex cop. You see what you see. You, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Once you, you know, flash a gang sign, and and I can flash yeah. a gang sign, and I can say, oh no no no, officer, my hand was just cramping. No, it wasn't. That's a recognizable gang sign. Right. Um, I think that you look at Justin Trudeau and the Queen of England. That's a that's a classic. Look at that most recent picture of when Justin Trudeau met the Queen of England, and look at the handshake. It's either extremely awkward or it has a meaning. Um, and then when these extremely awkward postures are repeated throughout history, you, you got to pay attention to them. And then the presumption has to be, yeah, what I'm seeing is what I'm seeing. You know, there was a day and time when we weren't afraid to say if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. 100%. You know, we say that we used to say that all the time about, uh, you know, gang members out here in, in L.A. And, and uh, that's, that was the truth. That was the truth. I mean, you you just... It is, it is what it is. So, uh, yeah. So you touched on, you know, how it got started. And, uh, when it came to this country, it, I know there's, there's different, uh, uh, there's, there's different, uh, lodges, you know, the Scottish and right. And, and the different things that the different orders that they have, but, uh, we'll get, we're coming up on a break. We'll come by on back and continue talking about this, this topic. It's very interesting. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
We are back. Welcome to the to War College. Um, we've got uh, Kyle Clement on today, and I'm filling in for Jesse Romero. He's uh, he's on his way back from uh, doing some apostolic work. I believe he was out in Ohio. So um, safe travels, Jesse. We'll see you tomorrow. And uh, Kyle, so we're we're talking about Freemasonry, and you touched on on what uh, what their goal was uh, a little bit about destruction of the church. You mentioned in the first segment, but um, how do they intend to go about accomplishing that that goal of of destroying the church? And and you know maybe you can elaborate elaborate why is it that their number one enemy is the church? Okay, so. The number one enemy uh, being the church is, is the church and faith is what stands in the way of one world government. And so what they're 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 in game is one girl, one world government, which is functional Luciferianism. And that's, this has always been the goal is, is one world government. And, and please understand that democracy was something that was toler- tolerated as a transitional step toward one world government. Communism is the ultimate structure as far as, as they, they see. Um, but to go back and look at the fracturing of altar and crown, the, the systematic um, elimination of nobility and world leaders coronated by the Pope is what they accomplished. The first one was the revolution, the, the French Revolution. And we, we have to remember and, and we can't forget these images. We cannot forget these images. And the images are that in the French Revolution, whole convents of nuns were marched out and systematically executed. Whole con- whole uh, monasteries of monks were marched out and systematically executed. Priests and intellectuals and property owners were systematically executed. And so what happens is and there were never there has never been the wholesale destruction of relics and sacred art and sacred things like there was um, in, in the French Revolution. And this is followed by the American Revolution. This is a very hard concept for us to understand is that revolution is not a Catholic concept. Revolution is a Freemasonic concept. And so then we've got the Mexican Revolution where we got to remember also that less than a hundred years ago, Ruben, less than a hundred years ago in Mexico, they were dragging priest investments out of churches and shooting them against the walls of the churches in Mexico. This is Freemasonry. Mm. The Bolshevik revolution started with the sacrifice of the Romanov virgins. This was the last coronated family in Russia. Then quickly on the heels of that, World War I starts with the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, who was the last nobleman coordinated by a pope. This happens while the papacy is now confined, the church is confined largely to Vatican City. So Freemasonry has run rampant. Um, At the end of World War II, the redivisioning of, of Europe there's a picture, a very famous picture of Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin sitting at uh, the conference at Yalta where the, the treaty to divide Europe, all three of those are 33rd degree Masons. All three of those men were practicing Satanist at the time that picture was made. Amazing, yeah. 
Well, you know, uh, Kyle, since you, we have people who, who don't know what a 33-degree mason is, now, could you just kind of explain the, you know, um, what that means? Is that the, is that the highest uh, rank in that uh, in the Masons? It is, and so there's some there's some language that has come into um, right out of the lodge that has come into popular usage, um, and and their imagery they don't invent anything; they simply corrupt, they simply destruct, like the the demon they serve, and he can create nothing. So any of the imagery and Freemasonry is rife with imagery so that a man, no matter where he comes from, what faith he comes from, he has, he recognizes some symbol, some sign. But there are three degrees of initiation. There is um, once that they're a master Mason, that's the, that there's no more elevation, so to speak, into the Freemasonry. Now you will have um, 30 degrees of um, reference, meaning around the compass point. So once you ascend um, through apprentice, fellow, and master mason, uh, incidentally, when they're elevated to a fellow craft mason or a fellow mason, the song for He's a Jolly Good Fellow, which nobody can deny, means that the, the lodge, he's far enough into the lodge that they're going to take up for him. They're going to protect him. Nobody can deny. And so a lot of these symbols and signs are from one mason to another to use your position to protect me or to cover what I'm doing. Yeah. And so I've seen Freemason signs, Freemasonry signs flashed in open courtrooms. But to answer your question, once the person goes matriculates through um degree four through 33, 33 plus three is 360, meaning all the compass points, a complete compass point. But by the time he's a 33rd degree Mason, now he's forming others. He's initiating others. He has a prelate level uh, status in Freemasonry. And so it is the most prestigious um, degree. All right. Kyle, you, you t- touched on, on on your last, not this last comment, uh, but the, the one before that about uh, the New World Order, the New World Government, and th- th- that seems to be where we're, we're all headed. And uh, I, I think now with this uh, administration, there's, there's no denying it. In fact, Joe Biden said it himself, you know, that he said uh, about, he's talked about the New World Order, that that's what's basically gonna, this is where everything's going. And you know that uh, that led me to to looking back at uh, pulled out a, a dollar bill and I saw on the back of it you know that, that, that there's a, a great seal picture on the back of a dollar bill. It's undeniably Masonic uh, symbolism and and uh, of an unfinished pyramid and and that all-seeing eye. And uh, there's, there's a Latin model that translates to the New World or excuse me the New Order of uh, of the Ages. Um, you know and even the uh, I believe the feathers on the on the eagle of the of the seals, uh, the obverse uh, has been has been linked to a number of degrees in in the Scottish rite of uh, Freemasonry. Um, so, and that seal appeared on the currency during the presidency of uh, Roosevelt, and he was supposedly supposedly a thirty second degree Mason, and that was Franklin Roosevelt, uh, and and uh, and purported. Uh, prime mover of socialism in America. And it, that, that's, that's probably no coincidence, correct, that, that uh, these things are showing up on our currency? Correct. But I, I really think to, to look at that image, 
and, and to see what it really is, is there's a syncretism. And that's a word we really need to get to understand is there's a syncretism, a mixing of images to evoke a, uh, an emotional response and maybe even a subconscious response. So for the Catholic man in the 1800s who would have seen the all-seeing eye, that has always been a Catholic symbol of God Almighty, God in heaven. And so then to superimpose that on top of the pyramid, which is a symbol for the Egyptian deity, false deity Isis, now you've got a mixing of symbols. You, you've got essentially in that one symbol, you're saying there is only one God, which is a true statement. But then the statement, it's all gods. And so we see this sneak into Catholicism through the ecumenical statements of the Second Vatican Council that essentially say the God of the Mohammedans is the God of the Christians. It is not. We worship a triune God. The God of the Mohammedans is Allah, which is another name for a demon. Very simply, in the Psalms, the, the gods of the Gentiles are demons. And we, we, we have seen Freemasonry working its way into and through the Catholic Church. And you're watching it in real time right now as you're watching the Vicar of Christ, number one, deny that title. Number two, start to dilute central power. Number three is usher in this concept of synoid and listening to how we need to redefine the faith. That's not up to us. And so you're seeing Freemasonry free on, on display. Yeah, Kyle, you know, it's my understanding that uh, to be a Freemason, you, you have to believe in a higher power, not not necessarily the God that we believe in, but, uh, you know, I, I believe they, they teach naturalism. And uh, what what is uh, what does naturalism teach in, in, about the existence of God and, and, and spirituality and the immortality of the soul? So it's here again, we're back. It's a wonderful question, but here, here we're back again to syncretism. And essentially what Freemasonry says is God is whoever you say it is. As long as you acknowledge that there is, quote, a higher power, a greater power, then God is whoever you say it is. Mormonism comes straight out of Freemasonry. Uh, Seventh-day Adventist, Pentecostalism, many of these come straight out of Jehovah's Witness. These come straight out of Freemasonry as different dilutions and Gnostic elements to diminish the Catholic population because they're fighting the war on three different fronts. One is the world front. One is inside <clears throat> or interior uh, to the Catholic church. And then the third is in the individual itself. So that a Freemasonry essentially says, whatever you identify yourself as uh, any, anywhere from a Buddhist to um, an anything other than an atheist, but anything that you identify yourself as, that's totally acceptable. God is who you say he is, not who. He, ultimately, Fulton Sheen says God who identifies himself as I am who am. Then there's an absolute truth there. It's not who you think I am. God does not say I am who you think I am. He says I am who am. This is a, this is a very uh, direct identity. Mm. And Catholicism preserves that identity and preserves the deposit of faith. Uh, Kyle, does does, uh, does Freemasonry ultimately lead to Luciferianism or demon, you know, uh, you know, say Satanism? And uh, is it, there's a there's a, a 
a level of uh, of I, I'm not thinking of the word right now, but you know, where, where they uh, associate with each other, or are can you say uh, because someone's a Freemason, is he could he be saying he's he's dabbling in the occult, or is uh, you know uh, can there be Freemasons that are simply doing it for the the religious aspect of it? I, I think they're. Yeah, typically what happens, though, is is Freemasonry is um, a mediocre, lukewarm expression, religious expression. So if a man is truly moved by spiritism or spirituality, he's going to go elsewhere to satisfy the religious component, the religious drive um, that's within him. Because Freemasonry treats religion ultimately as a as a element three, four, five down on your resume. Um, there's more of a social aspect, more of a fraternity aspect, more of um, <clears throat> protecting each other, covering for each other. Uh, so the man who's truly moved to to a spiritual with a with a spiritual emphasis is going to go outside Freemasonry, and then if he's bent the right way, he's going to go to Satanism. He's going to go to uh, pagan pa- oh. pagan worship practices. We are back to the War College. Kyle Clement, Ruben Abba, talking about Freemasonry. Interesting subject, Kyle. I uh, appreciate you um, you talking about this because many Catholics don't know, myself included, don't know a whole lot about it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's it seems to be pretty evil. And uh, from some of the, the, the readings that I've done, I, I recall seeing that uh, the demon Baphomet has, it's, can be seen in a lot of the Freemason symbolism. Um, can, can you tell us about that? Certainly. And I, I think that one of the things about Bapuhamed, if you look at him, um, he's half goat, half um, human. And in the ha- human half is has both female and male characteristics. Yeah. And so um, he's a true chimera, uh, not only cross species, but cross um, gender. And so essentially what he is, is he's the epitome of the understanding that nothing is sacred. And this is going to be Freemasonry. Nothing is sacred except what they say is sacred, which is a mockery of, of Catholic sacraments and Catholic um, practices, even the liturgy. I would I would just point out, um, you know, new order, uh, new world order. New order is in, in Latin is Novus Ordo. Um, the the thing is is. This is in, in, and they, they say these things, they show themselves. It's like they're constantly flashing us um, spiritually, psychologically. They're constantly flashing us to um, shock our senses, and then we become numb to it. But they're, they're hiding in plain sight throughout Hollywood, throughout music videos, throughout everything else. The, the hand signals, the symbols, the posturing is just very, very blatant. There was a series of videos by a a rock star here a few years ago where she actually reenacted the three initiation rites of Freemasonry in those videos. And so someone who knew what they were looking at, they're very discernible. But Bapuhamet is a a physical effigy of uh, or epitome of the fact that nothing is sacred, that you can mix, you can match and all of of these things. Interestingly enough, it it um, it becomes pervasive without us knowing it. So yeah, Bapuhamed is a 
is a figure. Um, and the reason that he is um, touted so much is he abrades our senses, uh, both by what he represents and, and what we're looking at. And so the interaction of Bafuhamet and children is extremely um, rife. If there's a Satanist, Satanic club or any type of this, he's the figure that they put forward um, because he has, he's, he's very interesting. He compels you to look, is that a goat? Is it a man? What, what exactly is that? Uh, but he compels us to look. And then once we look, um, now we've been compromised. And so Ruben, I don't know if you've ever been to the French quarter in New Orleans, but you, you go down the sidewalk at the French quarter in New Orleans and there's what they call criers. And these are guys that are very loudly dressed. They got a loud voice and they're swinging a door open and then if you look through that door, you're seeing all kinds of stuff that you don't need to see, but it's just a flash. Yeah. And they're trying to get you to go in that club uh, to see more perversity, to see. Um, and incidentally, we, we saw the first place we saw drag queens and transgender and this type thing was in those kind of clubs. Now they're in our libraries reading to our children yeah, right. because we as men did not say not only no, but hell no. Right. Uh, you, Kyle, you, you just mentioned uh, about the on the the Novus Ordo, uh, the word Novus Ordo, and and on the back of the dollar again, it it, it says uh, above the pyramid Anuit Cheptis, and then underneath it Novus Ordo Seclorum. Basically, uh, you know, it's it's hidden right there in plain in, in plain sight, you know, and we're 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 looking at this, and and it's basically. Uh, a plot to undertake by oath the new world order. Isn't that what that means? The, the, the Anuit Seclorum, or excuse me, Anuit uh, Cheptis. Um, in Latin, I believe it, it's, it has to do with a plot to, under, to undertake or to, to an oath, uh, if my uh, Latin is correct. Yeah, it, it's exactly what it is. I, I think that, you know, when you talk about a plot, it, it's really an oath. It's a pledge. And um, they've done it. They've done it. They've taken the church. They've taken the, the society. The question is, what are we going to do about it? How do we preserve our faith? How do we preserve our, our homes? Um, because we need to realize where we are. It's not that this might happen. It's done. It's going to happen. I mean, it has happened, and it is continuing to happen. The question is, how do we gain sanctity through it? How do we preserve our faiths for future generations? Um what do we, how do we, how do we rise from here? How do we go from here? Yeah. Uh, so Kyle, um, so what's the, what's the, uh, the position regarding the struggle between passion and reason with, with the, these Masons and, and, uh, you know, like, and basically how do we talk about morality? How do they, how do we, how do they justify morality, you know, uh, in their, uh, understanding of things? So for them, the only immoral act is to betray the brotherhood. Mm. That's the only immoral act is to betray the brotherhood. So there's a diminution. There's a, there's a constant onslaught. There's a constant barrage against the natural law. And we see it through the transgender, all of the transgender uh, things. We see it through population control. It, and if, if we don't understand that transgenderism is just another form of eugenics, then we're missing it. It's very effective because essentially, essentially what it does is it takes the, the mentally weak and the psychologically compromised and it sterilizes them. 
and that's what eugenics was after to start with. Now they're having it do them. Now that what they've done is over a period of time is they've um, very cleverly talked the, the very people that they wanted sterilized into sterilizing themselves, which is the psychologically compromised, the mentally weak, the physically weak. They've compromised them into sterilizing themselves. And so if you don't see it for what it is, um, and I'm not speaking to you personally, I'm just saying we as a, as a society need to see that they've been quite effective. Um, again, the Illuminados were some very interesting people who had con what appeared to be conflicting interest, yet at the same time they band together. So if I were a capitalist like Bill Gates back a communist because he's getting his population control agenda done. So again, figure it, figure it out, follow the money, follow um, these people who and what they're actually doing. And so it's the ultimate redistribution of wealth, but it's a consolidation of wealth, not a redistribution of wealth. The poor will become poorer and the rich will become dead. And those that are compromised will become sterile. <laughs> Yeah, Carl uh, uh, Klaus Schwab said uh, that uh, that uh, we won't own anything, but we're going to be happy, Kyle. <laughs> That's uh, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> well, I'm not, and so we'll be dead. Yeah. And so, uh, thanks be to God. The 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 point you bring up another one. Carl Schwab is a is a is a very Carl is is a very um, he's a very key character in the one world government. You got to look at his ingenues. You got to look at the people that he trained, including um, the, uh, the president of the Ukraine and the pre and the prime minister of Canada. Both of these guys are classmates in that school of totalitarianism. Um, the fact that the prime minister of Canada was not put on a rail and taken out of the country tells you there's no real men left in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> 100% Kyle, you're absolutely right. So what does it mean then to, what does it mean then to lead men in, in a, into a life of pleasure with these, uh, these, you know, the teachings of Freemasonry? So what it does is, is a, a, what it, I think to look at it from a Catholic standpoint. So St. Thomas Aquinas tells us that the faculties of the human person rightly ordered the top or primary faculty is intellect followed by will. These two faculties together comprise the immortal soul, their faculties of the soul, and those two faculties together comprise the attribute of reason. Mm -hmm. And so reason is found in a concert of the intellect and the will by which the intellect and the will act in such a way as to serve absolute truth to uh, for the flesh to be subservient to the soul, to reason. Inverted, and the definition of insanity is when we take the lower faculties, such as uh, emotion, memory, passions, the appetites, and we elevate them over the reason, uh, reason, quality of reason. This returns us to an animalistic, hedonistic state, whereby it's pursuit of pleasure simply for the for the purpose of pleasure. This keeps us from engaging the intellect and the will. We see this come. Uh, we see this played out by and large in a class of people called millennials, um, where they're disordered, they stay in the lower faculties, hardly accessing the upper faculties. But even as a nation, we base our decisions on how we feel. 
not what we know to be true, not what we know to be good for us. And so in doing that, we as a nation, as a society, are by definition insane because we're not correctly ordered. St. Thomas is very clear on this, but St. Thomas's teachings, a doctor of the church, the angelic doctor, the definitive theologian, the preeminent theologian of the Catholic Church is now being pushed aside as just one of many voices. And he, um, when he wrote definitively and the church magisterially accepted his definitions and settling of arguments, they're no longer settled. We're seeing this old stuff come back. And um, it's now being brought out as if it's something new. And it's not. These things have been settled. Hmm. You know, Kyle, um, there's uh, there's several people in Hollywood that have this tattoo. And it's uh, I think it's been seen on uh, the statue of Baphomet. Um the salve coagula, or it's salve coagula. Um, is, uh, what does that have to do with the masonry? So it's one of the many symbols um, that um, that shows one's willingness to engage in depravity, um, one's willingness to engage in disordered sexual union, both with uh, their own gender and and others, multiples. Um, it is a total profaning of the conjugal act. And I think that that is one of the keys is that it's a profaning of the conjugal act, the procreative act and all of its aspects. Mm. All right. Well, we'll hold that thought, Kyle. We're coming up on our, our last break. It's uh, going, going by quick. We'll be right back. Or college. We're back at the War College. Uh, Ruben Naba here filling in for Jesse Romero. Um, we got Kyle Clement, and we're talking about Freemasonry. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to make a correction on that last uh, comment I made to, to Kyle. It, the uh, the term uh, is solve et coagula, which actually means uh, to, uh, to separate and to join together or dissolve and coagulate in, in Latin. It's a, it's a medieval uh, alchemy quote, which is to say that nothing new can be built if not before we make space breaking the old. Um, Kyle's back. And Kyle, you know, uh, uh, looking at some things that uh, I was reading on Freemasonry, um, the, the Benedictines, uh, for example, are, are, are sometimes credited not only with building their monasteries according to sacred, sacred geometric uh, principles, but even of pitching their tents in harmony with their architecture. And then Gothic architecture is, of course, replete with complex geometric symbolism. And uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux is said to have expressed its underlying concepts in the 12th century when he, when he, when he was asked, what is God? And he answered, he is length, width, height, and depth. Um, I know Bernard St. Bernard of Clairvaux was a doctor of the church. Uh, so what was he, is he just quoting scripture there or is he, uh, is, is he using that along the lines of these geometric principles? So what he's talking about there is, is there is a divine proportions. Um, and this was Da Vinci drew according to the divine proportions. Man is created according to divine proportions. And so, one of the things that makes a person beautiful 
if we if we look upon a, a woman and say she's beautiful, or if we look upon a man and say he's handsome, it is these divine proportions that are replicated in their physical features, and it draws our eye to them. And so the drop the grotesque is those which are out of proportion. And so, for instance, does not a gargoyle have a nose? Does not a gargoyle have a chin? Does not a gargoyle have eyes and ears? Well, of course they do. Um, but then what differentiates the face of the gargoyle from the face of, of David, this, the Michelangelo statue? Because he has a nose, he has eyes, he has a chin, he has ears. And so it is that divine proportion repeated. It is, um, and so that's what Bernard of Clairvaux was talking about. So for instance, when you, when you are in a church, you'll go in certain churches, especially uh, Gothic churches, which the numerology is replete. There'll either be seven columns or nine columns or 12 columns. There'll be three of this. There'll be seven of this. There will be, so it'll be numbers that have um, a spiritual significance, a completeness. Interestingly enough, uh, most of the modern churches uh, where we started deforming our architecture in the 80s in Catholic churches, they lost the spatial theology. And that's what St. Bernard's talking about, spatial theology of where the choir is above and behind you simulating the angels. The altar is in front and above you simulating the mass and how the arrangement is in, in, uh, in Revelation. And so the tabernacle, the, the lamb is centered to the liturgy. Well, we, when we started discarding that and changing that, and then the subtleties, you look and oftentimes there are six columns and four windows and all the geometry, all the spatial theology is off. And so if you find yourself as a Catholic going in, in a church and, and you don't really like it and you can't figure out why, start counting things. Start counting rows of bricks. Start counting columns. Start counting windows. And what you're going to find is it's geometrically uh, disquieting to you, discomforting to you, because we find comfort in the divine proportions. Wow, good answer. That's well said, Kyle. And uh, so what you're trying to say is that when I look up in the sanctuary and I see a drum set and some uh, music, musical instruments up there on the, in, the, <laughs> in the sanctuary, that's not correct? <laughs> no, that's correct. You're at the Ringo Starr Mass in... Uh, <laughs> But bottom line, I mean, even even to use the Vatican II um, as as a clarification, it says in the documents of Vatican II, it says Latin chant has the primacy. It says there are no percussion instruments, no stringed instruments. There's even there's not even supposed to be a piano. So you know, everyone who's touting the new liturgy and all of these things, just go back and read your own documents because what you're doing is against your own documents. The very things that you're saying give you license. Yes, yes. A uh, 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 old uh, priest friend of mine would always say that, uh, as, as in, in regards to the Mass, you ought to be praying what you would have been praying 2,000 years ago at the foot of the cross because that's where you are. That's where you've been transported to or Christ comes to us and, and brings us there. And so, you know, when I point this out to some of my uh you know, Novus Ordo uh, friends, and, you know, would we have, you know, especially my Hispanic friends, you know, where they'll have um, mariachis out here in the, during the, uh, you know, the liturgy, and uh, I said, do you think they'd be playing at, at the foot of the cross, you know? I, I think it's something that we should all, uh, we should look at and, and say, are we in line with what we're seeing and what we're, where we're at? Would you agree? 
I would definitely agree. And I think that, that you bring up a very, very good point to kind of turn that coin over and look at the other side, though. You can see why the Masons are intent upon uh, fracturing the unity of the mass, why they're encouraging um, cultural expression within the mass, why they're, why they're encouraging um, all of these irrecognizable forms and encouraging people to, quote, be expressive, put your own spin on the mass, all of these things, because it, it rips at the very fabric of unity, the universality of the Tridentine mass. I think that every single parish should have a Polish mass, a Spanish mass, a German mass, uh, uh, an Irish mass, and that's called the Tridentine mass, because that was the mass that converted all of those places I just named. That was the mass. The very first Spanish mass, the, the mass that converted Juan Diego, mm -hmm. was the Tridentine mass. And so that's what gives the power to the universality uh, of the holy sacrifice of the mass. And the idea, just to start taking the language back, we never talked about celebrating the mass. We talked about offering the holy sacrifice of the mass. We, we understood why we were going. We weren't going for a communal meal. We were going to celebrate the sacrifice on Calvary of God become man. And so you see why Freemasonry needs so much to fracture and split the church because the church is the last thing that stands in the way of one world government. Mm. Yeah, Kyle, uh, I, I believe it was around the uh, 1850s where the church uncovered a document called the Alta Vendita, and I, some Catholics are aware of that. And could you just touch on that in the last couple minutes we have left? Uh, I'd be happy to, and I think it's a document that all Catholics um, <clears throat> should read if you doubt anything about the motives of, of Freemasonry. Essentially, it's a manifesto that says in the next hundred years, these are the goals of Freemasonry on the systematic uh, dismantling of the church by attacking her liturgy. And so you can't attack the faith directly. What you have to attack is the liturgy, and they understood this. And so it was several things, including uh, modesty of dress, including, uh, but mainly the section on the Eucharist is most informative. And one of the things it said is that within 100 years, they would have lay people taking the host in their hands, touching the host, taking it standing up, not kneeling, to diminish the postures of reverence. And I, I want to point out that this is one of the ways you track these guys through the liturgical landscape, is we have prelates in the United States who insisted on um, that whole diocese stop kneeling at the Agnus Day, at the Lamb of God. This is the way you track these guys across the landscape. These, because these are the signature moves is to diminish the integrity of the liturgy. And what is ultimately at, under attack is the understanding of the real presence, the sanctity of the most blessed sacrament, because it is the systematic removal of that understanding and that concept that is necessary to tear this church down, this church of Christ. Um, and so this is what they're about, and this is how they do it. Yeah, amen. That Well said, uh, Kyle. So so if we sponsor these doctrines of masonry, um, it, it's, is it helping uh, the arrival of the radical and, uh, and social order that we're, that we're seeing? The radical and social order is here. And so the question becomes, what do we do? We pray to the Blessed Mother to stay the hand of God out of mercy, 
out of mercy, not fearful for what will happen to us, but fearful for the peril of the souls which will die in apostasy, the souls which will die uh, apostate and, and away from our Lord. Stay the hand of God. Pray to the Blessed Mother that she stay the hand uh, of God um, for the benefit of all of mankind. Give us the opportunity to convert, to, to purify what faith we have, remain a remnant, remnant church so that there is a shelter, that there is a place of truth for the soul in peril to find its way to. I think that's the prayer, but we're here. Uh, the Titanic is going down. The question is, are we going to get the lifeboats out to preserve some of, are, are there going to be survivors? Um, I think we got to realize that you're not going to stop it. it. It's not going to be stopped. She said that in Fatima. What happens is it's going to delay it. This is the, the trajectory of a world returning to paganism. Um, this is the end of the of the reign. This is the end. This is all. I mean, we knew this was coming. And so we shouldn't be surprised that it's here among us. Thanks be to God that he has deigned us to live in it. And so let's live well and die well with the with the, the name of our Lord on our lips. We've got to preserve uh, our faith. We've got to pray that the Blessed Mother stay the hand of God. Amen. Yeah, Kyle, I'm going to be like one of those priests on the Titanic, and uh, I'm not jumping in that lifeboat. I'm going down with it, and uh, I'm just, you, you know, offering it up my uh, my sufferings with for the church. And like you said, we've got to we've got to get our family members in and and uh, get them saved because uh, we want to be part of that remnant. Correct? We want to be. That's absolutely right. Here and in the next life. That's right. That's right. Well, we're wrapping this thing up now, Kyle. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you. Uh, last time we, I saw you was at the Spiritual Warfare Conference, and I uh, had a good time spending uh, with you and, and Father Ripperger. And, and uh, so until the next time, um, you've been listening to, what I almost said Jesus 911, but uh, we're listening to War College. And uh, I've been your host today, filling in for Jesse Romero. And uh, so up next is... Uh, what is that? <laughs> Mashuda. And we, he's coming up from us to the uh, Midwest Command Center. And Gary is uh, always has tremendous guests on his show. So stay tuned for a good show with Gary Mashuda. And uh, remember, if uh, you're not uh, praying your rosary, you're not on the team. So let's finish up well this, uh, this Lenten season and uh, let's get all the graces that we can. And. Uh, if you have a, a parish mission at your at your church i, I would really highly encourage you to uh, get to it and uh we'll see you on the next uh on the next show god bless you keep the faith we are 10-7 we are out